Well, I want to welcome you all to another Daily Decadent. I don't have any special attentions in the email today, uh, but uh, I think it's appropriate just to pray for all of you, and I'm, because I don't have any special intentions from anywhere else either. But we'll just pray for all of us as we uh, come into the weekend. We'll be coming into the weekend pretty soon. Although, I believe uh, if the uh, if the Anchor app doesn't improve on my uh, mobile device here, y'all may not be hearing this until Friday anyway, so we we'll really will be coming into the weekend. And so therefore, I think it's appropriate just to pray for all of you as you're coming into the weekend. We're going to begin celebrating the fourth Sunday of Advent and uh, starting to uh, move in the in the direction of the final stretch before the Feast of the Nativity. So uh, by the time you hear this, it'll be a fasting day. And uh, of course, this is also an Ember week, which means that it'll be Ember Friday. Uh, and then Ember Saturday as well. So don't forget that Saturday, likewise, is a fasting day, a partial, uh, partial fast and abstinence before we come into Sunday at the last Sunday of Advent. And I want you to also uh, keep in mind that uh, this is historically, traditionally, a time of vocations, a time of ordination. So do please continue to pray for vocations and ordinations. And if you haven't done something for your priest at your parish, I would encourage you to do so. Take advantage of this week uh, to do that. We prayed a little bit about, talked a little bit about vocations on Wednesday, and it's a good opportunity to continue to think about that throughout the week. If there's one week a year where you really turn your mind to God and to vocations, I think this is the week to do it. For now, though, let's go ahead and turn in prayer for one another. If you do have intentions, I forgot to add this, I should say this, if you have intentions that you'd like for us to pray for here on the Daily Decade, I encourage you to send those intentions in to Daily Decade Requests. That's Decade, D-E-C-A-D-E, requests in the plural, at protonmail.com. And I'll be sure to make sure that your prayer intention is mentioned, either anonymously or by name, depending on your desire, and we will include uh, your intention with our prayers uh, as we pray a, a decade of the rosary together. Let's go ahead and do that now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, 
Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, weeping and mourning from this veil of tears. Turn then, O gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy unto us. And after this, our exile, shew unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ, thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. For all of us as we struggle, day by day, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, we really are coming into the home stretch here, and 
we're getting ready for the nativity, I suppose I could really, you know, give a reflection on the nativity at any point from now until it actually happens. You sh- you could probably imagine that I the likelihood of my doing a recording ahead of the nativity is probably pretty slim. Uh, I may do, or or uh, on the nativity, I should say, is pretty slim. I may do a recording ahead of the nativity so that I have something to post on Thursday and Friday of next week, uh, which will be, of course, the vigil and the the nativity itself. Now, of the vigil, most Catholics are not aware of this, or rather, I've, I've come to be told that many Catholics are not aware of this. I know many fewer Orthodox that are unaware of this, uh, because of the way that their fasting rules work. They're a little bit stricter about this sort of thing. But you should be aware that the vigil of the Nativity of our Lord, which is Christmas Eve, is in fact a fasting day and a day of abstinence. If you look at your Catholic calendar, you will in all likelihood see that there is a full fish on there. And that's a fasting day and an abstinence day. Just so you know... Uh, so when you are preparing for uh, Christmas the following day, if you have not observed this custom yet, now would be a good time to uh, think about how you're going to observe it. Talk to your wife or possibly your husband, depending on whether you're male or female listening to this. Uh, and be aware that there is a fasting regulation you may not be aware of that you will want to keep. Uh, just I'll call that a sort of public service announcement. Anyway, having said that, uh, that's not actually what's on my mind. The nativity itself is on my mind, but I'll tell you what I've been thinking about more than anything else is churches, actually. I read an excellent article on the Orthosphere. I don't know whether any of you read that site, but it really is spectacular. And there's an author in particular, J.M. Smith, who I'm very fond of, because of the poetry with which he writes, he has these marvelous reflections on the Texas countryside. Uh, he lives in Texas, and he has some little ventures out into the wilderness that he does, and writes these reflections on it, and they really are quite excellent to read. And His reflection this morning, which I was able to read over breakfast, uh, regarded the uh, country churches that one encounters in Texas, and really you encounter these throughout the South, in fact, these old country churches, some of them still in use, some of them in disuse, some of them abandoned, some of them historical sites, some of them still occupied but not used for their original purpose, sort of all over the place. And they are monuments, uh, not so much, I think, to an ancient Southern culture, because the I mean, well, when we say ancient in an American context, anything older than 150 years is ancient. But So I, I probably ought to be more careful with that word. But in terms of uh, pedigree, these churches probably have less of it than uh, most of the great edifices to Catholicism that exist, and certainly more than the any edifice to religion in Europe. Uh, Most of them actually don't even have a pedigree that extends beyond the war between the states. Going back, let's see, in the 20th century, we used to say 150 years ago, it's sort of catch-all, but at this point, 
you know, we're, we're getting on, we're drawing close to 175 years, uh, drawing very close to almost 200 years. I mean, 2060 will be the bicentennial of the uh, of the opening of the war. So let's see, we're at 2020 now. That's that's only 40 years away. So we are nearing a uh, an anniversary. At any rate, many of these churches that you see, these old country churches with their puritanical instincts, their lack of belfries, the um, lack of steeples, the austerity of them, they date to a period that is long after even the 1870s. And it is a tendency that I think marks a civilization that has experienced great crisis and destruction to want to do away with adornment of all sorts. In America, there was a flourishing around the country, outside of New England, which is its native soil, of a sort of Puritanism that seeks to deprive the house of God of all of its beauty. And a lot of movements grew up out of this, the early Church of Christ movement, some of the primitive Baptists, that sort of thing, that you now see throughout the South. There is this tendency to rob a church of its beauty. Well, before we can talk about all of that, one has to ask inevitably, well, why are we inclined to make a beautiful church to begin with? Uh, and, it, and it is an important question. Uh, why, why should churches be beautiful? Why is there this puritanical instinct to rob a church of its beauty is an important question, but one that precedes it, must precede it, is well, why, why not build a plain and simple church edifice? Why in the world would for uh, 1,500 years, I was going to say 150, 1,500 years, would we see churches adorned in gold and, and precious stones and these beautiful intricate mosaics and everything else that goes into a beautiful church building you know and they are there's different kinds of beauty the romanesque that you see in some places in europe the the soaring of the gothic uh, the the byzantine uh, or byzantine uh, beauty that you see in places like venice i don't think there's churches that are quite as beautiful anywhere in the world that compare with uh, the cathedral of, or the basilica of saint mark in Venice and the uh, monastery, the Abbey Church at Mont Saint Michel, uh, there really is very little that the that Europe has ever offered that rival those places. Uh, everyone speaks of Notre Dame and Rotterdam and, and even Reims to a certain extent, but I think that in terms of just overwhelming beauty, uh, you, you'd be hard pressed to find early examples of beauty in. European church building that rival those places. And Mont Saint Michel, in, in, in particular, was built so early. So, why was it that our ancestors felt the need to do that? It's an important question that we probably ought to ask, and it's one that reflects uh, how we maintain our own prayer space at home. You know, it's easy to have a very simple place, and one inevitably wants to avoid the sort of ostentation that draws atten the attention of guests to one's piety, uh, because this, of course, defeats the entire purpose of a private piety with our Lord. 
But nevertheless, the altar that we do establish to the Lord in our own homes is one that we should not be afraid to adorn as long as it is for His greater glory. And everything we should, everything we do should be for His greater glory. And so I, I, I got to thinking a lot after reading the article, well, you know, why is it that churches are supposed to be beautiful? And in a way, it's because there's no such thing as a church building, and this is harder to convey in the United States with our strict understanding of private property and the principles of ownership upon which the entire republic has been built from the Declaration of Independence, which is almost entirely an ideological document, uh, to the legal documents that come out of the Constitution and the political theory that you see in the Federalist Papers and the Anti-Federalist Writings and everything in between. We enshrine this doctrine of uh, private space and private property, and so ownership in our society is almost entirely human, material, and worldly. It is a building block of a secular society that there is nothing which belong to either the commons or to God. The commons, of course, were destroyed long before the first boats landed on the shores of this continent with the enclosure of, of England in the 15 and 1600s. And so there has never been a time from the very foundations of the early cultures established on this continent of European Christians. There's never been a time in which private property was not enshrined in the hearts and minds of the people that settled here, particularly those people that were looking for a sort of mock baronessy, the uh, those who were coming over here to treat it as an autonomia, the uh, like a crusading state, a true colony, in which they would seek their own uh, elevation. Well, that somewhat tents, or maybe even taints, our own view of religion and of holy places here, because everywhere is being private property, it's very hard to think of a property as belonging properly to God. But that is precisely what a Catholic church, and by extension an Orthodox church, are. They are properties which belong properly to God. Now, Orthodoxy has, from the days of Alexis Toth, been tainted with a sort of congregationalism that is Ameri uniquely American. And this congregationalism is something that bleeds over into Catholicism as well. It was very popular uh, to become more congregationalist in the wake of the Second Vatican Council, when there was so much conversation about uh, the idea of, uh, of collegiality, of more democratic processes that dominated parishes, that sort of thing. And uh, as a result, a lot of American Protestant ideas about property and about the individual started creeping into churches. And there is a decided congregationalism that unfortunately has seeded itself even in traditional circles. But a proper understanding of a church building is that it belongs to no one but God. It does not belong to a pastor. It does not belong to a community. It does not belong uh, to anyone but God. 
it is truly his house. I paused both to collect my thoughts and also to let that sink in. If you were to prepare a gift for someone whom you loved more than anyone else in the world, would that gift be plain or would it be ornate? Well, that's a question that everyone needs to ask themselves before they talk about the construction of a space that's dedicated to God, whether it's a chapel, whether it's a full cathedral for for an Episcopal see, whether it's a home altar or a prayer corner that's set up just for family use or even just for private use. Is that space in your heart? Is that space a space that is reserved for God? Or is that space a space that you have reserved for you? And if you have reserved it for you, how can it be used to humble you? And if you have reserved it for God, how can it exalt and glorify Him? Those are the questions that you should ask. It also applies to the temple of our own bodies, of course, and that's something we probably ought to talk about in more detail in terms of the kind of substances that we can consume. And I I don't just mean regulated substances, but substances in general. And the things that we do to our bodies, there was an excellent article in the Angelus uh, that I read recently on tattoos. Uh, And I I don't know, I doubt that I'm really giving any kind of private information about myself that I read the Angelus Society of St. Pius X. Uh, publication, but they had there was an article in there, or rather a response to a question and answer that regarded tattoos and the way in which they are intended. And those that are intended to glorify God, glorify God. Those that are intended to glorify man, glorify man at the expense of God. So the same thing is true of, of really anything that we do to our body or put within our body. We can either, in all of our acts, glorify God. Or we can glorify ourselves and the fallen flesh. And depending on which one we glorify determines the worthiness of the vessel, our the temple, which is our body, uh, to be delivered before God at the time of judgment. But we can only imitate the spaces that we occupy, and so is it any surprise that in an age in which the ugly church dominates that we see so many ugly souls. And I don't just mean the intensely depraved and perverse, which we know certainly rules over most of the land, but I mean ordinary Christians who struggle nearly with heroic virtue to do and perform the simplest of uh, of Christian to live up to the simplest of Christian living standards. Your regular prayers, for instance. Whenever I have to educate someone about a practice or a devotion or a mystery of the faith, it never, it truly never ceases to amaze me how broadly ignorant Catholics are of their own faith. And I 
mean that in terms of across the board. You know, there's a real broad ignorance of the faith among the broad population of even traditionalist Catholics. How many people are ignorant, perhaps not of the catechetical teachings, the doctrines, the dogmas. I mean, the Novus Ordo are certainly very ignorant of that. Those, those poor people. I, I just don't know how you remain Catholic. You, do, you don't know anything about it by the time you're done with catechesis. Even people that are confirmed walk away barely knowing their faith. But even among traditionalist Catholics, there's a loss of, not necessarily doctrine, but of many of the devotions that allow us to adorn our prayer life and give it entirely over to God. And that brings us around to the kind of gifts that we give to God, like the churches. We have a concept so thorough, uh, thorough of property and so thoroughly regulated by the government that it is difficult for us to imagine a supernatural ownership of anything. But we make our churches as gifts to God, the same as our prayer corners, the same as our prayers themselves, our gifts that we offer to God. Why should we not decorate them? Why should we not make them ornate? It's not that God desires gold and jewels and all of that, but rather that the inclination to add the gold and jewels and other additions to a simple design display a clear intent to glorify God, while the absence of that declares a clear lack of reflection on the way in which uh, these things might be of use to the glory of God. There is a great gift that God has given when His, when the gifts that we offer are uh, are offered as what's the word? Not ornamentation, but the human aesthetic captures and understands beauty. And it can do one of two things with that beauty. It can consume it itself, or it can give it to God to make of it something greater. There is a passage in Nikolai Velarimovich, Velimirovich, Velimirovich, who is a saint in the Orthodox Church, where he talks about the good deeds that we do and the graces we obtain thereby. And he talks about how we can enjoy the goodness that we do and in so doing we can take the fruit of our goodness and the fruit of our meritorious labor and consume it like grapes from a vine but if we hold on to it and pass it to God then we allow God to press those grapes into the wine of grace and to pour it out upon us such that we have holy, sufficient, and sanctifying grace upon us. And in the same way, 
we can either take our ornamentation, our sense of aesthetic and beauty, and we can offer it to God as a worthy offering and a worthy sacrifice, or we can keep it to ourselves and it will be satisfactory to ourselves. We can eat the grapes and be satisfied in the moment at least. But we will miss out on the eternal by not offering it to God. And so when we build a plain church, explicitly because we know it's plain and it does away with ostentation, what we are really saying is that this is how much God is worth. This is how much we seek to glorify Him in what we offer directly to Him. And inevitably, that does weaken the faith. And so, there's a couple of different levels here. One is that you're talking about a stronger faith. The other is that you're talking about a faith that glorifies and uh, ornaments all the offerings that we make to God. And one that is heavenly-oriented. Puritanism is very earthly-oriented. And it is, therefore, a weaker faith. The Puritans in particular, I don't think anyone would mind me saying that about them. And so my prayer for all of us today is that we might ornament ourselves interiorly to offer ourselves to God worthily. And that in all the spaces in which we offer worship to God, we will include in that worship the beauty of the space that surrounds us and that we should make beautiful those spaces that we have set aside for God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.